Blog Talk Radio. Alrighty, enough of the intro music. Welcome to the May 20th edition of Rebel God Radio. I am your host, KZ. Uh, no co-host tonight. Mr. Alex Saint is busy fucking around in Las Vegas. Uh, hopefully uh, winning some money. Maybe he'll call in tonight. Who knows? Um, the first hour of Rebel Guard Radio is brought to you by our sponsor, FogCityWrestling.com. Um, if you're anywhere in the Northern California area, come on out July 5th. Uh, Fog City will make, be making their debut at the Kizar Auditorium in San Francisco, right off Haight Street. Uh, they're bringing in Rikishi, uh, Olafa the Samoan Tank, Tonga Kid, uh, Black Pearl will be in the house. So there's a definite San Francisco uh, Samoan feel, and we're going to get into that a little later with uh, our first guest, Carl Stern. And also our other sponsor would be WrestleWarehouse.com. Um, you need Lucha Libre DVDs, uh, masks, T-shirts, all kinds of stuff. Uh, also, Jeff is running a special uh, buy three XPW DVDs. You can get any SoCal Pro DVD for free. Either you know they'll pick it for you random, or you can go through the selection of the SoCal Pro DVDs and and uh, write in the comments section whichever show you want. Um, Ultra Clash or Styles Clash from last September was good. Any show this year, well worth picking up. And tell them that KZ from Rubber Guard Radio sent you. Now enough of the bullshit. I am on the line with F4W Online and CarlStern.com's own. What's going on, Carl? Not much. How's it going? Oh, fine and dandy, man. It's actually cooled off over here in the West Coast, and we we just got through a heat wave. It's pretty rough. Oh, wow. It's been uh, it's been pretty cool out over here. Uh, this evening, like today's the first day we've had any 90 degree weather, and it's uh, actually a pretty refreshing change. Oh, cool. Are you working? I am not working right now. I am off tonight, and I go back tomorrow. Oh darn! I was hoping maybe a meth lab or something would blow up in the middle of the show. <laughs> that seems I mean, to be a regular request. Unfortunately, I can't dial up a meth lab explosion for you, but you never know. <laughs> well, you know, strange things do happen on my show. We we've actually sat through an earthquake before, which is kind of kind of cool. You know, yeah, this that is, doesn't happen every day. Yeah, this is not earthquake country here. I think I've I've experienced two earthquakes in my lifetime, and they've both been uh, pretty mild. So, if we have an earthquake, I'm definitely blaming it on you. There you go. Well, I, I mentioned Samoans in my opening. Now, you've heard the legendary stories of the, the Samoans rushing the ring at the, at the Cow Palace in San Francisco. Um, yes. Now, what type of a presence was in, in your area, in the continental southeast, were the Samoans? Uh, they had some influence here, but uh, not really. Uh, most of their heyday, of course, has been up in the northeast. The I believe AFA and was the only one that worked here regularly during like the the, the 1970s and uh Sika then came in after they had retired pretty much from up north and if you remember back Yokozuna uh, originally came into wrestling as one of the Samoans he was Kokina and he got uh his start down here in the continental areas uh as Kokina Maximus brought in by Sika so uh, that was really the the extent of the the Samoan influence down here. Okay, so let me get my timeline right and, and let me let me know if I'm correct here. Coquina broke in Continental area, then he went spent a little time in the AWA, where he he feuded with uh, Leon White, if 
I remember right. That's right. Mm-hmm. And then he went yeah, to I, New I Japan. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, yeah, I think um, if I, if I remember right, he might have stopped off maybe in in Tennessee before he went to the AWA, but it was just a real quick stop. Um, if he did, I don't remember exactly where the the Memphis part came in, but that's essentially it. So then he he did the AWA thing, then he went to New Japan, and then it was on in New York, and the rest is you know history. Um, yeah, I think did so. You get a chance, uh, I think that's right. Did you get a chance to see him live at all b- before? Oh yeah, yeah, I got to see him uh, uh, quite a bit. He was. Um, Pushed pretty heavily as one of the top heels down here. Just after the uh, after Kevin Sullivan left, this this may might have been about a year after Kevin Sullivan left as as the top heel, and and things kind of uh, floundered around here for a little while. And then um, he came in. He never was the top heel, but he was around. I mean, he was pretty heavily pushed. So I got to see him uh, uh, numerous times before he he left out going to the AWA. Yeah, he he was a hell of a talent, and and the thing is, the thing with with Yoko was he was different than the other Samoans. Um, he just I don't know what it was. I can't put my finger on it. It's just he was so large. He was always big, but he was rather graceful being big, and he just it it, it looked like he would kill people. I'm even you know WWF his run in WWF it looked like he was killing everybody, but from what I hear from you know those few guys that I know that have worked with him. Um, enhancement talent and whatnot, he was light as a feather. And that's kind of yeah, unbelievable he, uh, considering the size of him. Right. Really, a lot of his, I mean, like you said, he was always a real big guy, but but uh, he was, he probably put on um, 300 pounds between the time he was in, in Continental and the time he first showed up in, in uh, WWF. He was, uh, as you said, he was a big guy. He was the biggest guy in the territory uh, far and away, but he wasn't nearly as as large and obese as he became later on. So he really could um, move for a big guy back then. And, you know, of course, as time went along, he got more and more uh, immobile. But really, he was uh, – people were talking about him being a big star from really the day he, he came into wrestling. They had him pretty well – um, eyed as being a, a future major player in, in the wrestling business. You know, when <clears throat> when he was up in New York, when, when he would drop that big leg drop, you were like, oh, my God, that guy's got to be dead. But I, I, know of a, I know a few guys that have taken that leg drop, and they're like, didn't touch me. And I was like, yeah, really? I mean, and just by watching it, it looks like he just kills people. And, but he was he was an over, underrated worker. I think, it, and he was just a really good worker, and I think that his size kind of overshadowed it, but, you know, that's one guy that I, I think should be in the Hall of Fame as far as the WWE Hall of Fame. What do you think of that? I think um, I, I could see with the, the way they do the Hall of Fame up there, I could definitely see in a, in a few years him being inducted in. His run really wasn't that long, if you look at it in the overall scheme of things, and he did from from he was at his best when he first came in, and then he got progressively larger and larger, and that that slowed him down. So his time on top really wasn't all that long. But but considering some of the people, I mean, he he would rank uh, well above some of the other people they put in the Hall of Fame. I, I don't think it, I don't think anybody would would be shocked to see him get in. I I, I would be 
uh, for it. And also, if, if Hulk Hogan, of course, that was one of his um, hand-picked guys, too, one of his more favorite people to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, if Hogan ever gets back on good terms with WWE, and uh, I could see him definitely pushing hard for him to get in. Mm-hmm. Well, he's one of the few guys that Hogan said, sure, I'll lay down for him. Yeah. You know, honestly. Um, and I, I happen to have seen uh, Hogan's final uh, WWF run, uh, or his final match from Germany against Yokozuna. And this was like his second to last match before his contract was done. Or I think his contract was up, and he was, you know, just going through his dates. And. Instead of just phoning it in, they went out and they put in a solid 15, and he gave Yoko a damn good match. Um, he put Yoko over clean in the end, and this was on a house show in Germany. And I was I was shocked that he just went out there and said, okay, here, I'm going to put this guy over right in the middle. I'm going to do the right thing. You know, and, and it showed that Hogan, you know, was business. You know, Hogan did get a bad rap, but he was business and he did the right thing as far as Yoko was concerned, and you know, and that that's pretty good. Um, oh yeah, he he wanted to bring him into WCW too, but uh, Yokozuna was having problems with uh, getting clearance in some of the states that still uh, regulated wrestling under the state athletic commissions because of a uh, some heart, heart issues yeah. related to his weight. Yes, but he was uh, had he been able to clear that physical, there's no doubt he would have been brought into the WCW as well to work with Hogan. Oh, okay. All right. Well, we are the anti-format show, Carl. So I'm going to be all over the place, if that's all right with Sounds you. Sounds good. Yeah. Cool. <clears throat> Excuse me. Well, I'm going to ask you you uh, the standard question that, that I ask um, non-workers. How did you fall in love with the business? What one match got you hooked? I think it was actually an angle that took place with Austin Idol in the original Midnight Express. This would have been Dennis Condry, Randy Rose, and Norvell Austin. I remember turning on the television. Some of my friends, and I was young at this time. I was, like, you know, very young, um, preteen, definitely. And uh, I remember them talking about, you know, wrestling, whatever. So I turned it on. I didn't know these people. And it was just an amazing match, an amazing angle, really really bloody and kind of, uh, I mean, it was like nothing else on TV. So can can we run down the angle? Sure. It, the best I remember it was uh, Austin Idol, who was, for the whole time in Continental and Southeastern, he was a baby face. He never turned heel in Southeast. He did all of his heel work up in Memphis, which is a totally different area, and over in uh, Georgia as well. So the Midnight Express were always heels down in um, in Alabama, and uh, usually you had Austin Idol and Bob Armstrong as your two top guys, and they were working some kind of uh, program where I believe one of Bob's sons, maybe Brad, uh, it might have been somebody else, uh, was injured and out, and Idol had come in to work with him, and uh, they had just uh, basically singled him out and... Uh, there were no baby faces to come make the save, and they did a, a, just a really bloody angle on television um, where they choked him out and, 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 and beat him up, and it just looked, you know, uh, so visual with, of course, Austin Idol was, you know, blonde-headed, white blonde-headed, and, and the blood and everything, and it was just, you know, there's nothing else on, on television like that. Mm-hmm. 
and I, and I become big fans of Idol and the Midnight Express from that point forward. So, well, uh, listeners of the show know that the the few things that made me fall in love was uh, Richard Brody and Jerry Blackwell in the AWA. Um, '84. Um, I was watching I was watching wrestling on and off San Francisco from '79 to '83 through the death of San Francisco, and then Burn came in, and I fell in love with Brody. Just just captivated me. And, and it was on from there. Um, what are your thoughts on, first off, Jerry Blackwell? Have, have you seen much of him? And actually, we'll go with just Blackwell first. But what are your thoughts on Blackwell? Yeah, sure. Can you hear me pretty well? Because you're, you're breaking up pretty bad. Can you, can you yeah, hear me okay? Hear you. Okay, very good. Um, Jerry Blackwell, the, the first I really got to see of him, too, was in the AWA. Uh, I know he had been around different areas, but really... His time he spent up there was my first real exposure to him. And you're right, man. Those matches with uh, with uh, at that time King Kong Brody up, up in the AWA were 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 just tremendous. I mean, uh, Blackwell had this very odd look. I mean, he was a really short guy, really obese guy. But he his gimmick was he threw the drop kick. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. He was yeah. he was an amazing talent, and he was a great promo. Because um, I was there through through him being healed as part of the Sheiks, and then uh, uh, Brody and Kim Batera turning on him and making him a baby, and then him teaming with Hulk towards the end of Hulk's AWA run and all that. That was just the glory days, man, for me at least. Um, the other part of the equation, Frank Brody. What are your feelings on Big Frank? Yeah, you know, I just finished reading the Bruiser Brody biography, and it was a, a tremendous book, really, really fascinating uh, look. Uh, the I hadn't read much from um, uh, Larry Matisic before. I haven't read his other book, but he did a, a just a great job. I, I highly recommend that book, and I, I learned really a lot about uh, Brody. You always hear all these legends and stuff about how he was, but it was really interesting to get hit kind of his thought process behind things. And I tell you one thing too that I want to make mention of talking about Jerry Blackwell. The the thing about today's wrestling versus then and then don't get me wrong, the the overall in ring product nowadays is so much better than it was back then. Storyline wise it's just right the opposite. It's so much worse today really to me than it was back then because you got to know the guys, you got to kinda of understand who they were, there was a reason why you cheered people and reason why you hated people. But the in ring product has gotten really a lot better. But nowadays if you if you apply nowadays standards to back then, you would have never got a, a Jerry Blackwell in the ring. I mean, you have the occasional um big fat guy like Big Daddy V or whatever, but those are are, are anomalies. Um, back then you had all kinds of guys who were big but not necessarily those big steroid muscles. And you think about guys like Dusty Rhodes, guys like Jerry Blackwell, the Assassins, and so forth. Those guys under today's standards would have never got a second look. And I think it's a shame. I think there is a place for different body types and different personalities in wrestling instead of this a really bland kind of cookie cutter thing that that WWE seems to have going nowadays. I, I have to agree, and as my listeners know, I I follow the product, I follow TNA, I follow WWE, um, just through 
through news outlets and whatnot. I just I, I can't watch the product. It's not what I grew up on, and you know I mean a lot of people are like that. It's not what they really want to see. Um, I keep current because you know I do a show and and that's what I have to do. But I'm really disappointed. But I, I don't well, know. See, I, I'm not I, even gonna get I have, Well, I, I have kind of my own opinion about that too. It's it's not what what was back then, but it never. It never has been. Every generation says the same thing. You know, I've I've done a lot of work and research with like the golden era of wrestling and the and the pioneer days. And even back then, you had a guy like Frank Gotch being, uh, and this was in the the nineteen hundred early, very early nineteen hundreds, nineteen oh seven, nineteen oh eight, talking about how disappointed he was that wrestling wasn't like it was back in the days of the original Strangler Lewis and Farmer Burns and so forth. And then you had. Um, Ed Strangler Lewis came along, and what he was doing looked and was very different than what Gotch was doing. And then you had guys like Gorgeous George come along, and even Luthez. I mean, uh, Luthez would have looked more in place with the uh, the Strangler Lewis era, but he would have looked completely. I mean, he would have looked like Hulk Hogan's showmanship back in the the Frank Gotch day. So it's always changed and it always seems to progress more toward entertainment into things rather than the in-ring stuff but now you also see where it's kind of gone back to the very beginnings as well with mixed martial arts i mean mma ufc is essentially with the addition of strikes and so forth what frank gotch was doing back in the early 1900s so it's kind of became two totally separate things and yeah things are are not what they were in the 80s. Uh, I really miss the uh, where you had local heroes, you had uh, very defined personalities and stuff. But you, I mean, you can tell just by watching the, the AWA stuff on ESPN Classics now how dated a lot of that stuff looks. And, and some of it holds up. I mean, you watch the Midnight Rockers stuff, and and it's you know it, it holds up, but a lot of that stuff doesn't. And uh, I think maybe 10, 15, 20 years from now, we'll be looking, uh, the people that grew up with this era will be looking back probably saying the same thing. That's a good point. Um, there's there's always been that bitch and gripe between the generations. Um, and, and it just will always be, and, and it happens in every sport, you know, and I don't know. Um, let's see, uh, a, couple, a couple of shows that you had a few weeks ago, you uh, you mentioned that you were starting the Left Behind series in books. Um, yes. What book are you on now? I'm um, uh, probably approaching halfway through the second book, Tribulation Force, so I've read you know, about one and a half of the, of the uh, multitude of those books that are out now. And I don't know how far I'm going to get in the series, but uh, I'm well into the second book now. I am looking at the whole series right now. Um, my wife and her family love the series. So my wow. wife has read them. She's halfway through her second time, all the way through. Wow. And when uh, I listened to that, that part of the show of yours with her, uh, she's, she's not really into uh, wrestling or whatnot, but she is into the Left Behind series, and she said that that's really good that you're reading it and that once you finish that second book, you're going to want to read the third and you're going to want to go all the way through because it, it, it completes the story all the way through. So yeah, I, I can see... I, you know, I can see that. Uh, yeah, the, it's a real easy read. Um, it is uh, the the storylines are are very very simple in it, and and 
I'm used to reading stuff that is a little more complex um, than that, but it's it's kind of nice to, at the same time, there's nothing wrong with it. It's, it's kind of nice to have the simplicity of very clear-cut good guys and bad guys. I'm not, I'm not against that at all, but there are... Um, to me, and again, it's the whole uh, evangelical movement end of things mm-hmm. that, uh, to me, there just seems to be a lot of uh, fear mongering in the book. And again, that's what it it is meant to be. That that is not a you know an accidental product. It's in there, and it, it was just really eye opening for me to see where a lot of this um, fear of like the United Nations and and one world government and, and globalization in general that a lot of that stuff. Of course, obviously, it doesn't come from these books, but it does come from that movement, and it's a very interesting glimpse inside that. I would say even people, uh, evangelicals, I can totally understand why they love these books, because it's preaching their um, philosophy, and they believe, you know, somebody that reads this, sees, you know, the good guys prevail and stuff, will come over to their side, and I understand that, but it's also, I would recommend it also to, to the other side of things, maybe the the agnostics and the the people that are more um, so let's say left leaning than than uh, right leaning because you do get a glimpse inside that thought process and I, that's equally eye opening to me. Mm. It's just, it's interesting how they how they string the books together. But I'm not going to spoil anything for you. But I know oh, you're going to go out of your way to get the series all the way down. Um, let's just say at the final book there is a conclusion. That's all I'm going to tell you. Oh, very good, very good. Okay, so that you're you're not going to be left left you know with your mouth open like shit. There's no ending. There will be an wow. ending. Um, well, also, that, that's they, good. Yeah. They, they made seems to be a lot of, of these the, books. <laughs> they made movies of the first two books. If you didn't. Yeah, know. and I, I hear they're horrible too. So I'm going to probably. Yeah, they're pretty those. bad. <laughs> um, but they 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 did get the born again Kirk Cameron to do it. So, you know, right. he got a payday out of it. So. But they, yeah, they were pretty bad. My my wife made me watch them, so. But you know, I, <laughs> well, I, I, underst- keep, keep I understand keep. having a passion for that sort of stuff, and and mm-hmm. you know, good for Kirk Cameron if he's found his. I mean, let's face it, there are, there are child stars that have turned out a lot worse than him. So you know, if yeah. that's what he's found that that makes his life complete, then more power to him. Um, there you go. Uh, you know, there it could be him. a lot worse. Oh yeah, could could definitely be a lot worse. But you know, enough of the enough of the book talk. I, my now my wife will be happy. I brought it up. She she left me a note tonight before she left. Bring up the the, the Left Behind series. So now I'm out of the doghouse. <laughs> now um, I think it was last November I had Jamie Dundee on the show, and you know that he's the brother-in-law of Bobby Eaton. That's and right. I asked Jamie out of the Midnight Express combinations, Condry and Eaton. Or Lane and Eaton, which one he liked best? Which was your favorite combination out of those two, and why? Well, you know, I hate to say it because I really like Dennis Condry, and I really have enjoyed his work. But my favorite version of Midnight Express is Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. Uh, just to me, they were the best tag team of all time, and I would put you know Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry just one step behind them. So, of course, I loved uh, Dennis Condry and Randy Rose, too. So, really, there's not, to me, there's not a bad version of the Midnight Express uh, using the original people. Now, you get to the, the uh, that version they come up with in WWE, and they can keep oh. that. But, 
Um, that was bad. As far as the mid, the, as far as the real Midnight Express, I guess I would have to go with Bobby Eaton and Stan Lane. Mm. Well, I I have to agree with you. Um, but on the flip side, I think Eaton and Condry drew way more money. Yes. And, oh, oh, they did. Yeah. You know, they um, they lit Mid South on fire, boy. When they showed up, they lit that territory on fire. Yeah, and had they down there, they had no idea. They thought yeah. it was just big guys. Had you they know. had they wanted to stay in world class, they didn't want to be in world class to begin with. They they wanted mm-hmm. to go straight from uh, Bill Watts to Crockett. But they got stuck a year in world class because of a deal with Bill Watts and Chris Von Eric. And they didn't want to be there. But their matches with the Fantastics during that period, to me, were even hotter than the Rock and Roll Express stuff in Mid-South, or at least could have been um, had they been, had they wanted, they just didn't want to live there. They didn't want to live in Texas. They wanted to move Mm -hmm. back uh, where they were from. And it's kind of a shame because there's no telling really how big they could have been uh, over in Texas had they been motivated to do so. But really, uh, Dennis Condry, to me, has always been a better singles worker than he was a tag team, but you just never got to see him that much. He had one really uh, good singles run in the dying days of Continental um, as the top heel in that company and, and the champion. And it's uh, it's a shame more people didn't get to see him work as a singles wrestler because, to me, he was better as a singles worker than he was a tag team guy. Mm. I re- I remember his. I first saw Condry eighty two. It was before they went to Mid South. I saw him in Memphis, and that stuff was really fun. He was he was around Eaton. I think they may even had a program or something going on. But you, I, I knew he was he was something special, but. At that time, Memphis was was too crowded. There were too many people, you know what I mean, where they had the main events on the TVs where these big all-star six-man tags where there's so many people, no one can shine. And when he left and and went to the Mid-South, and then, you know, I got to see him there for Watts, and I knew that, you know, the Midnight Express were something. They were the real deal. And I'm really, really surprised that they didn't take that deal to go to New York in 87. Right, yeah, um, again, I think that was Condry's doing that they didn't do that. And, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how that would have worked out. They may have been, you know, um, really they weren't a good fit there if the company didn't get behind them and really push them. So I don't know how that would have turned out. Um, they didn't have the cosmetic look, I don't think, that uh, would ultimately be associated with WWF. And really, I don't know if that might have hurt hurt them somewhat down there. A lot of people uh, feel like that Dennis Condry's team with Phil Hickerson, which was a little bit before this, was an Mm -hmm. even better uh, combo than with uh, Bobby Eaton, but I haven't saw enough of that to really judge, and I just don't see how that could be. uh, Phil Hickerson is okay, and I I just don't, I mean, he's just not in the same league, even close to, to Bobby Eaton, so I don't know. You know, it would have been a different kind of team, but um, I don't see how it could have been better. They were brutal. They were brutal. Um, Condry, Condry would do the cheating aspect of the team, and then Hickerson would just beat the living shit out of people. So they, they were scary, brutal type of heels. Um, and then it, it wasn't fair because at that time, there weren't any baby faces other than Lawler 
that could step up and hand it to him in the end. So there wasn't really a good payoff. And that's uh-huh. what didn't make it work because they didn't have that strong, strong babyface team to get them in the end. So the the stories just didn't work right. You know but who I always I felt like would have made a really good combination that almost happened and it didn't really, and that was Dennis Condry and David Schultz. I thought they should have hooked up. And they were in several of the same territories at the same time, and they did a little bit of stuff together. But I would have liked to have saw those two hook up because... Uh, to me, they complemented each other probably better than anybody. I always thought David Schultz would have been uh, a, a much better uh, pick to have been in the original Midnight Express than uh, Norvell Austin. Uh, I think he, Dennis Condry, and Randy Rose, all three of those together, would have been something um, equitable to even the Freebirds. Mm. Well, you know, the David Schultz, you know, he's really underrated. He didn't get the respect due because that whole 2020 thing really fucked him up. And David Schultz was a damn good worker. He was really, really good. Really believable heel. You know, and, and he just, I, I don't know, he should have been in the spot that Piper was in, my personal opinion. Uh, with yeah, Piper he, he, he should have, um, I think, um, you know, and, and I say this understanding that a lot of people with these same issues have, have done very well, but uh, David Schultz was just so difficult everywhere he went, and you know, again, I know, I, you know, I can name a dozen people who were probably as difficult or more so than he was that that did well. But um, I think that was his biggest drawback was um, he was just a difficult guy to work with, and, and kind of like Condry, he didn't stay around anywhere for a real long time before he was into it with the promoter and and having to move on. Of course, uh, David Schultz, you know, he. He uh, he crashed and burned in a spectacular fashion, but where Condry never did. But they both had uh, they both had similar talent. Uh, David Schultz was more charismatic, I think, and um, like you said, more on that Piper level. And he certainly had that believability. Man, he was yeah, he was a very believable, just rugged redneck fighter. And uh, but they also shared some of the same demons that I think cost them. Well, definitely cost Schultz and. And certainly held Condry back as well. Mm. Well, see, the the thing with with Hogan and Schultz, they had they got their thing together, you know, rather well oiled up up in Minnesota for Vern. And I don't understand. I, actually, you know what? I take that back. I think that that Vince, when Vince brought Hulk and Schultz in, Vince could not control Schultz. I think, and that's why Piper got the slot instead. Well, you think, yeah. Does, um, does that sound? Well, I, I think uh, I think it did have something to do with that. I think Popper was probably the choice all along because of what he had been doing down in Georgia. But uh, as far as working together, I think uh, Schultz and Hogan worked better together. And, uh, you know, they had that real famous bloodbath match up in uh, the AWA, and I think that was in, mm-hmm. in uh, Minneapolis where that happened. Yeah. And really that caught so many people's attention and, and, and turn them on to uh, David Schultz. Um, then, like I said, you know, he had his own issues. And he and Hogan, I really think, um, uh, grew apart once they got to WWF, once Hogan began getting the huge push, and it turned out Schultz was probably not as much. So I think that that's when uh, David Schultz started coming out a lot of with his, a lot of anti-Hulk Hogan stuff. But, 
mm-hmm. uh, that I think I think there was some probably some uh, jealousy involved in that too. But uh, and again, you know, there's always been the rumors that Schultz was put up to slapping John Stossel to begin with, and then they sort of left him hanging out to dry. And I don't know what the truth of that is, and I, I doubt we'll ever know, but. Um, if they did, I, I could certainly see it happening the way either side tells the story. No, well, the, the way I see it is I, I think that Schultz was, was upset with Hogan because Hogan didn't step up and say, hey, I want to do this program with Schultz. And, but yeah, on the other right. hand, Hogan was just like, okay, I got the spot. This is my run. I'm not going to say anything to fuck it up. You know what I'm yeah, saying? No, I think you're right. Yeah, and, I, I, uh, I don't know. I wonder how well, I don't know for sure how well Schultz was uh, drawing up in, in the New York market because he was very strong in, in Minneapolis and in the AWA towns, mm-hmm. and I just wonder if that might have had anything. I'm just speculating out loud. I don't really know the answer to that question, but I'm wondering how well you would think uh, with his redneck persona and all that that he would be a really strong heel up in that part of the country. And um, so I think, you know, maybe... Uh, if if he had got the slot instead of Piper, I don't know really how much uh, change it would have made. You're, you're right; he may have um, stepped right into that role. I don't I don't know. It's interesting well, I, I to don't think, think about it, though. I don't think it would have changed. I honestly don't think it would have changed because my honest opinion, I, I've never really been high on Piper's work in New York. I loved his stuff in Georgia. I loved his San Francisco and LA stuff in Portland. But I was never really high on the, the, the New York stuff when he first came in. But I think that they would have been pretty much interchangeable. Or even Orndorff. The three of them, you could have put either of the three into the role. Because, you know, they all three were strong heels, and you needed someone to do the thing with Hulk. And I think that either any of the three could have done it, and they wouldn't have missed a beat. And they would have still ended up in the same spot. But I don't know, yeah, if, I don't know if uh, Orndorff could have carried it off without... I mean, I guess with Bobby Heenan with him, but he just didn't have the personality that Schultz or, or Popper had. But, I mean, he he had an awesome run with him up there. I mean, mm-hmm. they, they did that huge uh, huge Toronto show, and, and, I mean, he was strong everywhere they went. And it was it was by far the, the peak of uh, Orndorff's career was up there. So um, it, it well, worked out pretty good for him how, how it did go. Well, here's the $64,000 question. Do you think that that the WWF would have drawn the same in Detroit WrestleMania three with Orndorff and Hogan on top? Uh, no, I don't think so. I, I think they I think they would have done quite well, but I I think uh, I, I I don't think so. No, okay. I would have I would have probably tried to keep it strong and went another year and had uh, Orndorff and Hogan at WrestleMania four instead of doing the tournament thing. Well, I mean, because that was the build-up to three, you know, right. and then they abruptly stopped it, which, if you look at the numbers, the numbers dictated that they should have continued with Orndorff, because they were just, they were drawing so much fucking money, so much money, unbelievable money, and you think, you think they would have learned from what they drew in Toronto at the big event. Right, but, but, then, the, 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 but the problem was... Had such a limited time. I mean, you were yeah, running. Clark was running out on him, so you, you yeah, basically had to get that huge show out of him, and because uh, there was no guarantee he was going to come back from that back surgery. Yeah, that's true. That's 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 the one variable in there. It, it was Andre. 
that that was the thing. Um, do you think that they maybe would have been able to? Well, let me see. They had back then. They had what? Just the four pay-per-views or three even? Uh, they didn't even do the rumble yet. So yeah, I don't it remember. Was Mania yeah, and Survivor was Series. Yeah, I think that, Mania I think and Survivor so. Series. That was it. They could have put. They could have held it and did uh, something else instead. You know. Do the Andre and then come back with Orndorff. I guess Orndorff maybe mouthed off or something, and you know about not getting the run. You know, not getting. I'm that, wondering that though, deal. didn't didn't Orndorff get hurt right around that time? Didn't he get uh? Didn't he hurt his neck or something right around there too? And that might have had something to do. Well, I don't remember the timeline uh, for sure, but seems like he had a uh, hurt his neck the first time, or maybe it was an arm or something like. That. I don't remember, but seems like there might have been a. Uh, a injury involved right there for him, but I don't remember. I may have my timeline off on that. Well, because he wasn't around anywhere at all for yeah. the, for that for for three, he was nowhere around. And then uh, I think towards the end of the year, they they did the the thing where he got back with Hulk, and right. then they did the Bundy, the Bundy, you know, squishing Hulk and whatever that builds. No, wait a minute, no, that's for two. That was the year before. I'm all confused. <clears throat> wait a minute. That run, that run in Toronto was after the turn, right? After, yeah. Th- okay, because right. Mania 1, they turned Orndorff babyface. Mania 2, they turned Orndorff heel. And then he was doing the thing with Hogan. And then 3, and was it, he wasn't even around for 4, was he? Um, no, he was, uh, I don't remember how many years he set out altogether, but, but it was several. And... That that sounds about right. I, I'm I'm trying to look it up right now. He wasn't even in the he wasn't in the tournament. No, he was. Um, let's see. No, he wasn't. Um, no, he wasn't at WrestleMania four. Huh. Talk about a fall from grace. Yeah, man. Um, shame. Yeah, I don't I, I don't remember. I'm not sure, you know, he said all those years out, and, you know, for a while people didn't even know where he was, you know. They were, uh, I mean, I guess some folks knew where he was, but as far as the wrestling world at large, you know, he was uh, he was gone for quite a while. He got completely out of the business. It's a shame because, you know, there weren't many guys at that time that had the intensity, you know. You you can see all these matches, and you see Orndorff's matches, and you're like, he's he's one of those few characters that were believable. You know, you would watch yeah, his match. Yeah. You're like, this guy's killing this 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 loser. So, Orndorff, you know, never really got. Well, I mean, he got his comeuppance. You know, he got his Hall of Fame and you know all that stuff. And you know, he had his his run as an agent. You know, he 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 did his thing. But well, let's uh, let's move on here. Um, you said that your favorite tag team would be the Midnight Express. What would be um, your second? Probably the Road Warriors. Uh, I I was a huge, huge fan of the Road Warriors back at the time. They were, you know, coming up on the scene and everything. And, uh, you know, just from from the very day they debuted in Georgia, I mean, I was a Road Warriors fan. Were, were you surprised that they, they weren't killed, the, the gimmick wasn't killed when Tim Horner pinned one of them? Yeah, I was. I mean, that that really. I mean, you talking about stuff that was just forgotten. That was, you know, that never really come up. You know, it, they they did that deal, and then it was just, uh, 
I was. I was really shocked that you're you're right that the and that could have it could have, could have killed him, and it didn't make Tim Horner a star either. It's a shame. You know, it was completely out of nowhere, and he just rolled him up and boom, boom, boom. I was like, wait a minute, what the hell is this shit? You know, I, you know, back then, you know, I, I knew things weren't on the up and up, okay. But I was like, wait, that's not right. You know, this little guy holding down this big guy. I, I've never understood how a little guy can use, you know, like a schoolboy and pin a larger guy. It just never right. psychologically made sense to me. And yeah. I've, I've asked many workers, big and small, and they're like, I don't get it either. But and they're all, you know, the Finnish guys tell us what to do, and that's that. You know, I'm really surprised it didn't kill him back then. Yeah, I I am too. Um, but the the Road Warriors just had uh, such a such a aura about them. I mean, they looked like people you would not want to mess with. And uh, you know, the they were really and truly, I guess, more popular than even the Road Warrior movie that that spawned the gimmick. I, I um, you know, that was a while a popular movie. It wasn't. You know, a, a an enormous success, but man, that gimmick just it it hit just right at the right time, and um, there was so much. I mean, there was nothing like it out there. Uh, even I mean, I think it inspired a lot of the stuff WWF did. You know, besides just demolition, obviously, but uh, as far as the larger than life, really, uh, really colorful um, monster wrestlers, they they were. They were perfect for the role. I mean, they were absolutely perfect. So, so would you say, just in, in your opinion, do you think that that Vince Jr. saw an episode of Georgia TV, saw those guys, and and that's what could, that gave him a hard on for the bigger guys? Uh, no, I think he always was that way. I think he, uh, I think the, the, I think the start of that was. That Vince always wanted to be a wrestler. He always, and his and his father wouldn't let him, so he always had to overcompensate uh, for it. And because he was interested in in, in weightlifting and being, you know, as as a, a pretty decent physical specimen himself, and and really in his later years he kind of went insane with that stuff. So uh, I think that had a lot. I think that had more to do with that and the fact that Superstar Billy Graham was his favorite wrestler, and he just. He always wanted a bigger, more colorful superstar Graham. Mm. And really, I, if there I hadn't been a, I'll guys, go ahead. No, that, I, uh, I, I really, if there not been a superstar Graham, I mean, you can forget Hulk Hogan ever coming around because Vince would have never, you know, probably never bid on it. You mentioned superstar Billy Graham, and that I hear that, and and it it pop, uh, pops into my head a, a phrase, a, a saying. It's a the the ones that I I'm a huge mark for shoot interviews you know that, and the the shoot that our video conducted with Axel Rotten in 1997, they asked Axel who inspired him. He said Dusty Rhodes and Superstar Billy Graham, and he called Superstar Billy Graham the innovator of steroids. And there that is no there is no other statement more true than that. And it I, it just pops in my head when I hear Superstar Billy Graham, and do you think that Graham ushered in? He was the one to usher in the steroid era. Uh, yeah, I think so, but I think it would have came anyway. Um, mm -hmm. Not uh, he. It, he ushered in the blonde, larger than life, 
uh, steroid, charismatic wrestler that so many people over the years have, have patterned themselves after. Would steroids have, have eventually made their way into wrestling? Oh, absolutely. I mean, because the Road Warriors weren't based anything on Superstar Graham. They were just big muscle monsters, and they had a totally different thing. And there have been, you know, so many others, uh, too. But, yeah, he I mean, he definitely brought it in and spawned guys like Jesse Ventura and, and Hulk Hogan and just, you know, so many others. Um, yeah, but I, it would have at some point in time have made its way in anyway, I think. Okay, who is your favorite superstar Billy Graham clone? Uh, probably Scott Steiner in his uh, WCW era when he was going out there and just uh, shooting off at the mouth and saying, you know, anything. To me, whether that was shoot or work, it was it, that was captivating stuff because you never knew what he was going to say. He was, I mean, you talking about he did Superstar Billy Graham better than Superstar Billy Graham did him. <laughs> so. Uh, he was my favorite, and it's too bad WCW was such a cluster right then because I think had they took Steiner, um, you know, remember the, it took them a while to put the title on him, and had they probably jumped on that bandwagon six to eight months earlier, um, and it might have helped. I mean, that company was doomed just from the inside out, but it would have helped, and he, he was my favorite, I guess. Um, I would... I would sort of throw Austin Idol in there as one, but Austin Idol, while he took a lot from Superstar Graham's act, he kind of really made it his own. He he had a lot of uh, when Ric Flair came along, he influenced a lot of what Austin Idol did too. Austin Idol was kind of a hybrid between uh, Ric Flair and Superstar Graham. So I guess I would have to say uh, WCW era Scott Steiner. I, I have to agree. Um, I at that time I made sure because out here on the West Coast we got we got Nitro at six o'clock and and then it would re, replay at nine so we'd get to watch Nitro and then Raw right after so there was no stopping no recording just sit down for my five hours and I was always at the edge of my seat waiting for Scott to come out because you never knew and that was part of the fun that that yeah. was fun and enjoyable because it wasn't. By the book, it wasn't cookie cutter, and it's not what you know, what you think or expect is going to happen, because you really don't know what's going to come out of the guy's mouth. And a lot of that spont- spontaneous shit is missing today. Yeah, you know, I think so. I mean, it, it's everything is so bland, scripted, and cookie cutter. You don't get the guy's personality. And, and let's face it, even even if you know the what Scott Steiner was doing was had a negative impact on the business, and let's say it did, the fact was you got to see these guys' personalities, and that's what's missing today. All this stuff is scripted. You know, uh, you've heard the story talking about the shoot interviews that where Steve Carino was talking about going up there and getting the tryout as the writer. And he 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 brought in the script and everything. The woman just went go crazy. You know what what's this? You know he'd he'd written down. You know like CM Punk talks about the uh, upcoming match at the pay per view, and she's like, well, what did he say? So I don't know. Let him go out there and and say. And she's like, oh no no no. <laughs> it, it's, it's you have to write what he says. And I mean that just kills anybody's uh, personality. Mm-hmm. If the same person is writing, you know, say if you got three people writing twenty different wrestlers personalities all you have are those three people's version of their personality instead of what they do and you know that's another thing that's really missing from the old days these guys who can't talk and can't cut a promo you put them with a manager that can a mouthpiece that can talk and can get them across 
And, uh, you know, it, for love of God, they were scripting Ric Flair's promos. And then you saw what happened when he got to come out and cut his own promo, how much better it was. And uh, I understand um, scripting promos for guys who can't talk very well. Totally understand it. But they really need to go to more of a bullet point system. Go out there and we want to get this, this, and this idea of cross, and you go out there and do it in your own um, personality, I think would really help the the drabness of, of, of the business right now. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there there are workers that, that come out, and you can you can tell. Like, I, I think if they just let John Cena go, you know, he's got natural charisma, the way he carries himself. You know, even when he just steps out and, you know, he just looks around out on the, out on the stage, he has natural charisma, and I want to see John Cena be John Cena. CM Punk, okay, I mean, they've completely killed him. Completely, completely killed him as a character. He was just amazing, and they've completely dropped the ball with this drug-free thing. I mean, now, of all times, now of all times, I think the straight-edge, I-don't-do-anything kind of gimmick would get the fuck over. Big time. And yeah, it's also, it would help the company. I think it would do the company good. Honestly. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, it, and it would be different. It's a, it's a, it's something new. And you know, they they need to do some of that. They need to get everybody is the same person in a different body in WWE, and it just gets so redundant. And it's time for something fresh. And that's one of the things that's missing about companies like WCW and ECW. When those two companies died, WWE absolutely quit any innovation whatsoever. It has anybody that's gotten over has just gotten over because they have that um, just charisma that gets over just from the way they look, the way they they act. Um, But they have put no innovation whatsoever in the product since those two companies um, went under. And it's a shame. I mean, something, and TNA is not in any position now or probably ever to influence them. Um, but, you know, that's, and, and, and I seriously doubt any company will in the foreseeable future. I mean, we're, we're in an era that it's going to be WWE, and unless WWE were to something, you know, un- totally unforeseen happen in that company, just, you know, lose television or something like that. That's what pro wrestling is going to be now, is that. And what you're going to get in, in its stead are people going to stuff like MMA and UFC because it's it's uh, different and it's, uh, it's a combat sport. And one of the things I think you're going to see UFC start to do as they, they uh, and I wish they would hurry up and get this message, is they're going to start doing more personality-wise with these fighters. While I don't think they're going to go to any kind of worked matches or anything like that, they are going to start be more personality heavy, um, and I think they need to hurry up and start doing that too because a lot of these guys are starting to uh, to get you know pretty bland themselves. Mm-hmm. Well, that, okay, TNA is a lost cause. TNA is done. They're they're not going to change, and you know, as far as as long as Jeff Jarrett is in Dixie Carter's ear, actually, you know what, though? Dixie Carter is beyond changing. She's tainted already. So TNA is a non-factor. Um, my personal feeling is that the, 
there's going to be a third company, and it's it's going to happen sooner sooner or later. Um, I've gone on this rant many times. Um, do you think that a third company will spawn with something different? I I think they could, but it's going to take a television deal. It's going to have to take a substantial television deal, and I just don't know who's out there right now has the clout or the willingness to do it. Most everybody who would have had the the um, gumption to to start their own company and to have a different idea has instead elected just to take the easy payday from WWF or WWE and work as a producer or something like that for them. All your creative minds are locked up there, you know, writing scripts instead of out starting a company because it's the easy way to do. It's the easy thing, you know, to get a, a guaranteed paycheck. There's the odds are, are horribly against you starting a new company, and I think you're right. I think TNA is a lost cause. I think they are where they will always be, and it's a shame. I just I don't see anything on the horizon that's going to change any of this. And is you know a lot of times when you don't see something coming, that's when something comes. But I don't know what it would be. I don't I don't know who out there has the clout to to start a third company that's going to do anything uh, nationally. Well, my my listeners know where I stand as as far as Mr. Dave Marquez and the NWA are concerned. Um, they're my feeling. They're going to be the third company. They're just a money mark away. Um, they have the talent. They have the product. They're more of a wrestling-based product, and it's it's diverse like WCW was back in the Nitro era, with with the Luchadors, the Cruiserweights, um, the big heavyweights, the tag team stuff, and they're they're the way they put their shows together. They're going to be the third company. They just need a money mark, and I keep saying it till I'm blue in the face. And that money mark is Mr. Mark Cuban, and I will keep saying it, and I will keep saying it until Dave Marquez decides to get in bed with Mr. Cuban. When that happens, there will be a third company, and I think that Mr. Cuban has the funds to put, to put the screws to it, put the boots behind it with the push to get a TV deal. And honestly, I think that those of us that prefer the older style because as as my partner Alex Saint likes to say there is no new school there's no old school there's just the right way um, those that like the older style will latch on to the to Mr. Marquez's product and I really they're right on the cusp Carl and I'm I'm deadly serious they're right on the cusp of really breaking through and I'm not saying that because I have friends that work for Mr. Marquez I'm saying because I honestly feel because I mean I've I've been around the business since 1979 and I've seen you know the ups the downs the peaks the valleys and everything in between, but I feel that this is it. They're really really close, and now is the time, because WWE is the same old thing. TNA is so out of whack. Um, do you think that now is the time for someone to try to get the third co- third company going? Oh, absolutely. Because somebody that comes in with something different. Uh, something that's that is uh, more serious. I'm not talking about boring. I'm not talking about takeaway personalities. But I'm talking about a a a show with more that that is more serious about the wrestling part of it. It is that I think they could could break through. I, I haven't unfortunately got to see any of the the latest NWA incarnation stuff. I don't. I have Directv and they're not available on it. But I am looking forward to uh, the, the time I do get to see it because um, I would be very interested in viewing a more serious uh, uh, product. 
Okay, uh, those that are listening, you can watch the show online on nwawrestling.com. You'll be able to watch the NWA Pro Showcase every week. So there you go, Carl. I suggest you check them out. Um, Sounds good. They're really diverse. Uh, really diverse. I mean, they're they're. I'm talking uh, Nitro in '96 type of diverse, where you have all kinds of different guys, and and they have offices in Japan, in Australia, in in Mexico. So and they have a hell of a champion, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce. So I mean, he's he's he. Rem- I was speaking with Scorpio Sky on my last show, and and we both agreed that he reminds me of Harley Race. Um, have you seen any of Adam Pierce at all? Oh yes, yeah. I, I'm quite familiar with with his stuff. Cool. Uh, well, what do you think of Adam? Let, let's put him over, or you know, critique him. Oh yeah, yeah. He, no, no. I would, he does listen. Yeah, I would, he does listen to the show, and he does <laughs> take take our opinions, you know, into heart. So. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I can't say anything but good about him. I mean, he he. Yeah, I, I would definitely put him over because he's a, a just a tremendous talent. Really is. Um, I've. Uh, I've saw uh, God probably uh, definitely more than a dozen uh, of his matches and so forth, and he is—I mean—he's won me over. He's definitely got the the um, the style I like to watch. Uh, I think he's got a, a good personality that, if if it were developed on a on a television level, he would be uh, on a, on a national television level. It could be really developed into something something really interesting. Well, now you need to watch the NWA Showcase online so you can see his promos. They're unbelievable. Great. You know, he he carries himself like Ric Flair did on TBS back in the day. He carries himself like a champion. And, you know, you, you can you can uh, really, really believe, you know, that, that he's going to go out there and give you, you know, the best that he can. And, you know, and he, he's also a hell of a worker. You know, he's just so fun to watch. Uh, let's see here. Um, you want to take a call real quick? Sure. All right. Let's uh, patch in uh, Mike Sebervivi. I had a request Yo. to have Carl, Carl Stern and Mike Sebervivi on the same show. Look Is at it that. happening right cool. now? Yes, sir. That's good. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the show, Michael. Hey, how are you? Not bad, not bad. Is uh, little Mr. Little Sean Avery sleeping? Uh, yes, he is. Awesome, awesome. Well, Thank Carl, God. we're gonna uh, we're gonna transition into the second hour. Um, it's CarlStern.com and AlabamaHistory.com. Sound about That's right? That's right. Uh, yes, awesome. com. I strongly urge anybody, if you're a fan of older older style wrestling, I suggest you check out the site. And you can also get uh, Carl's audio shows, uh, preferably weekly, sir. <laughs> preferably weekly at <laughs> f4wonline.com. Preferably daily. Forget about that. They need to be daily shows, Carl. Seriously. <laughs> I'm old, just like you. I want to hear this shit every day. Amen. <laughs> Brian must be paying you more than he's paying me then. <laughs> he, he's not paying me. He's not paying me to put you fuckers over. <laughs> yeah, but we appreciate it, though. I pay every month. Fuck. Jeez. Rapage, I tell you. But, Carl, thanks for your time. We're going to definitely have to do this again. Anytime, man. I'm, I'm at all you guys beck and call. You just let me know. 
Awesome. Thank you for your time, Mr. Stern. And uh, go on back and watch some Continental DVDs. I know you got a handful out there. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, brother. Take care now. Okay, that was F4W Online's in-house wrestling historian, Carl Stern. That was a fun, fast one hour. We just zipped through it. What's going on, Michael? Oh, uh, get him out of here. Main event's on now. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Dude, I am upset. We have not gotten any new footage other than Dragon Gate for us to watch. What's up with the people that are uploading things where we like to watch? Well, we it's some it, new fucking Japan. Well, I want Carl it, Anderson footage. I, I don't know if you want Carl Anderson footage. There, there is some stuff out there. You need to dig a little, little deeper. But, yes, it has been a little bit quieter right now for whatever reason. So, well, at least we got an El Dorado show, which is always fun. Well, they, they, that's not bad. You can't ever be upset with Dragon Gate. Well, yeah, there you go. Especially now that my boys, the Young Bucks, are over there, which is, which is awesome. Um, you're going to be pretty impressed with these guys. They're from the L.A. area, and they're like 19 and 20, and they're just so young. And and this is their test because they were they're considered the up-and-coming, high-flying tag team of, of Southern California. Now, this is their test, is to see if they can survive in Dragon Gate. Yeah, it'll be a hell of a test, because they better be able to keep up. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it just goes to show you, if you work for Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, you can definitely work for Dragon Gate. So, those uh, workers out there, send your tapes to PWG. That, that, that's true. So, Mike, uh, we... Uh, I would like an explanation of why we've had two hockey-only Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmares. Because the people love hockey. I don't. My Sharks got eliminated in, in probably the best hockey game I've ever seen. Well, dude, that was actually a great – that was probably the best series so far was actually that Fucking series. Awesome. And unfortunately, it was the first round, and, yeah, San Jose did take a header. But, well, we did the hockey shows because, frankly, we like hockey, and – Considering how much of the uh, the F4W fan base is uh, you know, north of the American border, you know it's kind of nice to to serve those people. Hmm. Hey, it's not a bad idea, and it's a pretty good marketing ploy. So. Uh, exactly. Plus, we're looking for Tim Hortons coupons. <laughs> you too, huh? <laughs> oh yeah, why not? <laughs> well, you have to admit that that uh, game six, Sharks and Stars, was just fucking amazing. I mean, that's absolutely awesome. Six quarters? Six periods, excuse me? Yeah, six periods. It went to almost a yeah, I'm just too old now and couldn't stay up. I gave up after the uh, first overtime, but yeah, it went to almost uh, like 2.30 in the morning Eastern time. Yeah, yeah, five and a half and hours. It hadn't been done in a while, and it's a great thing. Well, a great thing if you, you know, obviously if you weren't a San Jose fan, but no, great for the sport, and you, you need games like that, especially in the playoffs. Well, it was it was a great finish because it's not like someone fucked up. It wasn't a mistake. They got beaten. It was yeah. a clean shot. They got beaten. The goalie didn't fuck up. Someone didn't cover their man. No one fucked up. It was a clean shot. And I was just like, that's fucking hockey. Yeah. That's why I love the sport. Wow, look at that. It got me pumped up, man. Hey, listen to yourself. Settle <laughs> down now. Settle down a little bit. <laughs> I don't want to blow up yet. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, pace You're yourself. You're not gonna blow me up. It, it takes it. GQ money to blow me up on the air. So that's just... oh, Fred Lewis. Fred Lewis of the Giants just hit a home run, top of the ninth. It's five to three over the Rockies. Go Giants. Yeah, see, there's there, there's a sport I can't do anything with anymore. 
Really? Can't do anything with baseball, no. Why is that? Well, mostly it's living in the Baltimore area most of my life, and uh, well, Peter okay. Angelo sucking the complete life out of that team and just drying it up and spitting it out. But no, I just I don't know what it is with baseball anymore. Baseball and the NBA. I can still bet on the NBA. I just don't want to actually watch it. I'm just mm-hmm. stuck with sports where men beat each other up at this point. It's you know that that's it. I need hockey, I need football, I need you know anything on a canvas mat is fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, uh, did you follow any of the results from the Pro Wrestling Gorilla uh, DDT Tag Tournament this past weekend with uh, Mr. L. Blazer? I, I, well, I didn't keep up on it hard, so. <clears throat> well, they, they won their, him and Keiji Toro won their first round match on night one, and then they lost in their second round. But they made an impression where the fans were cheering, please come back. So that's good news. Um, were they changing the your... English? Huh? Were they changing yeah, English. English or Japanese? Yes. English. Oh, okay. Well, close enough. <laughs> At least they were telling him to come back. Well, that's why I just wanted, just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So, well, I was going somewhere with this. The man with, you know, he has multiple gimmicks. Um, what are your thoughts on, on El Blazer? Uh, it just, <laughs> I mean, he's fine. I mean, I'm trying to think. He's had, like, I think, yeah, you have to go to press of uh, Central to find out, but he's had like what fifty different gimmicks, something like that. It's just you know, it's just he he's fine, you know. Just <laughs> never really stood out to me as you know somebody you care about, unfortunately, all that much. And so no, nothing against him at all, but you know, I did match that. I know I've seen some matches he's been fun in, you know, but I'd have to go back and actually look. But you know, not one of those guys that stands out, you know, massively in my mind. Mm. I, I would like to see him in, in, say, like a four corners with Sanjay, uh, Jack, and Pac, and just see him fly. I mean, it'd be like a, a hornet's nest. These guys all over the place. He's that, that indie sleaze little guy that'll fly all over. But you know what, though? Yeah, he's a human super ball. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. he absolutely is. He's a human super ball. And, of course, that match would be great because Pac would hurt himself. <laughs> no. <laughs> Those hits, it looks like it just it hurts. God, it just hurts. Jack Evans is, is bad too, and he like does the uh, the six thirty and just kind of lands on his spine. But he's made of rubber. Pac does shit, and it just it it's got to hurt. Have you um, have you followed Jack and Teddy in AAA at all? No, I haven't had a chance to. That's one of the things when I pick up the hockey package every year. One of the things I drop is the Latino package that Comcast has, just because, you know, I'm cheap like that. So right. I don't get to see too much AAA or CMLL come summertime again. Now that hockey's over, I'll be getting it back up again. But I usually don't get a chance to, to see it too much anymore. Well, the from what I hear, Conan's trying to get uh, Jack to move down there. So he he'd wants be, to make him a regular. He, he, yeah, I mean, that would be – I wouldn't want to see that. Obviously, he's spending most of his time down there because it would take him out of the States and out of Japan. But – I mean, he could <laughs> when you can do what he does and fly around like he does. I mean, he's he's perfect for down there, and Teddy's crazy enough to be down there full time. So shit, why not? I just I hope that Teddy doesn't fuck everything up for Jack. You know, that, I, I don't think that. I, I, yeah, that's that's true. But I think they're a separate entity. You know, you know what you're going to get out of Teddy Hart, and it's you know it, it would be like paintbrushing you know Natty Nightheart. You know when. When, when she went to WWF and they had plans where it was Jack was released after like a day or something like that when when they got Harry and 
they had at least a loose plan of possibly doing a, a new new heart foundation. So I think Teddy just kind of stands on his own. Jack stands on his own, and you know where you get out of Teddy. So as long as he's not, you know, hitching his wagon to Teddy in any way, I, I think he's fine. And, you know, what he's done in Dragon Gate and, and everything, I think he's just a completely separate entity. It's a shame with Teddy. You know, I, I wish that someone would just smack him upside his head and put him in line because the kid has got so much fucking talent. It's amazing what that kid can do. And, you know, the the way he puts his shit together, it looks good. And it, he just – something's wrong with his fucking head. He needs a brain implant maybe. No, yeah, that, that's – you know, I, I don't know why he does the, the things he does and, you know – because it's, I, I don't know, I, I'll just never really get it with the guy or, you know, exactly, he's like, I, I don't know if he's just trying to be the Andy Kaufman of the wrestling world or what, but it's just. <laughs> you know what, that's that's a pretty good analogy. I well, I mean, you know, he know, he was no he knew exactly what he was saying on the HBO show. I remember we interviewed him a couple times where he, he just basically, you know, in the span of an hour and a half, he asks four questions and he just kind of goes and filibusters off on random shit. Mm-hmm. It's it's a shame, you know. He he had his deal, and you know he fucked that off. But you know he's working in in AAA, and he's working in some Northeast Indies. But uh, and he's he's obviously fine with that because I mean you know he, he's got the indigo to, to WWE, you know, pretty much when he wants. If he would just you know act normal, I'm sure they would take him. But I mean, if he's making money and this is what he wants to do, then I, I guess fuck it. There you go. There you go. So, what uh, what workers that you have seen recently? I'm not even going to talk about the bigger companies because you know New Japan and All Japan and Noah they do their thing. But in the in the smaller companies, has there been any worker that stood out to you recently? Uh, you know who kind of st- who stood out? Believe it or not, uh, I'm trying to think of the, the guys off that the, the Playboy show that All Japan had. And they had a, a little tag tournament. I don't know if you had seen that. Yes. And that whole thing was just surprisingly really good. It was It was surprisingly good. Yeah. And I had to pull up the results of the guys. I mean, all the way across the board, they had a couple guys in from Battle Arts. And that was actually a really fun card. That There's one of the ones from this year in Japan that you should kind of go out of your way to see. And I'll find a date for that, and I'll, I'll post it up in the, in the forum later on. But that was a fun show. Um... Really, anything off the, the smaller shows, really not that much has, has stood out all, you know, incredibly too much, at least so far this year. Yeah, I've, just because of Avery and, and because of some other things, I haven't had a chance to watch as much as I usually do, so I've, I've been kind of stuck, you know, staying with the with the major promotions, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, I've been, you know, a lot the same. I've been putting a lot of my time to a lot of the smaller indies. Um, as far as you know, Japan are concerned, and then the upper cards for for Noah All Japan, and you know I've been watching the main events. Yeah, and, and that's know, really unfortunately cards. because of time constraints. That's kind of all I'm, I'm able to see. You know, Adam has got yeah had the you know, a little bit more time on his hands, so he's able to watch full cards and everything. I'm, I've, unfortunately, I've just had to stick with kind of the major stuff. Mm. Well, what did you think of Muto's title win? Uh, shocked the shit out of me. Um, didn't see that. I really didn't. Of all the scenarios, you, we we kind of laid out. I mean, doing the show before that, I, I just I didn't see it coming, and I thought Muda was going to be used to, to help knock him more over a little bit more. And 
just it didn't happen. You know, I, I don't know if this has got anything to do with you know money or anything like that, but uh, you know there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of scenarios you can use with Muda. Um, you know, obviously he's going to use the title and you know the the, the deal with Suwama and everything else. So uh, it's just kind of a surprise. I don't know why New Japan would let the belt go out of house, even though everybody loves Muda because of who he is. I don't. I would have to see what the long-term goals of this is going to be because I just I don't see how it helped New Japan really at all outside of getting a little bit of buzz. Yeah, it really did nothing. No, it I mean really to nothing. me it didn't. Now there's a lot you can do with it because who of who Muda is, but it just it was still a surprise because I just why take the belt off Nakamura unless they absolutely pushed the, the stop button on him? You know, Muda didn't have a good match with Goto at the Dome Show on one four. He yeah, it didn't. Nothing. It was not a good match, and it was very disappointing. I mean, we may have overhyped the, the, whole, the whole thing going in, but I, just this was a little bit of a surprise. But then again, what it also does is, you know, if you want to go with this, uh, Tanahashi's announced he's coming back for the G1 and, and will be in ready in time. So, you know, probably Tanahashi takes the belt off of him again, but then again, what do you do on 1-4? So, mm. Yeah, I would have liked to, if they were going to do that, I mean, why not Makabe or, or something? I, I just, I, I, of course, then again, I wouldn't take it off Nakamura either, so. I wouldn't have used, I, I don't know, I, I would have used Muto Muda to put him over strong, you know, maybe even do an hour, you know, go an hour. No problem. Or go, or go as long as Muda really can, and I mean, right. you well, know, yeah. Nakamura's not Tanahashi, so maybe a half hour would have been more than sufficient. Yeah. Yeah, I would have fallen asleep, so I, I can't stand Nakamura. I really can't, and I don't think okay, I ever and I'm a I'm a big Nakamura, obviously, as you know that. I'm a pretty yeah. big Nakamura apologist, but, you know, again, just in the scenario of this, I just don't see how this helped or where exactly they're going to go with it. But, you know, obviously there's a whole summer to go, and things are going to play out. Hmm. So so you're gonna you're saying Tanahashi would take it off him? Or um, do you think that? They can maybe build someone up rather quickly. Is there anybody, you know, scratching at the surface to, to move up to the top spot? Well, the, the, use Muda to put over? Well, the obvious thing would be Goto. Uh, you yeah, know, Muda to beat him, but I don't... <laughs> why now with Goto? It's just, you know, there's ways you can build him up that have nothing to do with, you know, beating Muda for the title. I mean, you know, because outside of him, there's no one you can really put up there. I mean, not... <laughs> Nakanishi's always around, but he's not going to win it. You know, Nagata is there, but it just all signs, at least to me right now, point towards Tanahashi again. But then you have the entire summer of Muda with the, with the New Japan title. Uh, I don't know. This benefit, what it does benefit is All Japan. So True. It's amazing how All Japan, really, when Muda left, and really left him in a lurch, and it's not exactly like he was going to kill the company, but I mean... It's a severe blow to lose office workers. You lose your tag champions. You lose your champion. Uh, you lose Kendo Kashin. Those guys all jump, and you know New Japan has gone out of its way to help all Japan ever since. It's amazing for you know, for the blow they were dealt. How you know quickly they went back, and they always work with all Japan. How's this for a scenario? How about Minoru Suzuki? Or uh. Yeah, Minoru Suzuki taking the title. Okay, that I'd have absolutely no problem with. Exactly. You know, if they, now, I would rather, because I really was hoping for a 
Minoru Suzuki uh, Nakamura match at some point over the summer, just because it's just another guy Nakamura could go over. I mean, it's it, it, there's not a more believable guy. You know, there's not many more believable guys in Japan as far as you know a guy who gets in there than Minoru Suzuki, who could win at any time. And I thought that you know, that could be a really good match and, and help Nakamura along his way in what I thought was going to be at least a string of, you know, title defenses. Now, Minoru Suzuki is great. I would love to, but again, I don't know. Then what do you do with that for Minoru Suzuki? Then have Kanahashi go over round one four? You know, it's, just, it's going to be interesting to see how long Muda's holding this title for. Yeah, that's But Minoru Suzuki, I mean, it, it's, as much as big of a backyarder as Minoru Suzuki can be and as big of a dick in the ring as he can be, you know, he's still one of the more entertaining and intriguing characters in all of Japan. Yeah, he's anywhere. Anywhere, no matter where he's working, he is fun to watch. I mean, Mike, we've seen him with Mecha Mummy. We've seen him kill kill uh, Real Gay in Hustle. I mean, that was fun stuff when he killed Real Gay in Hustle. Oh, that yeah. was just <laughs> fucking awesome. I, I mean, I creeped my shorts. I was like, yes, here we go. This is a slaughter. Let's bring the lamb out. Hey, you know that there. I don't think there is a more believable worker in Japan than Minoru Suzuki. And I would love to see uh, Suzuki in there with an angle or a Joe, and just let them go and just kill each other UWF style for 30 minutes, and that would be fun stuff. Um, maybe get the get have Suzuki take the belt off of Mudo. Okay, and you know TNA has has their you know their grips on companies over there. You can bring Joe over, you can bring uh, 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 Angle over if he's healthy, and you know you can maybe even bring in a Tomko. Tomko and Suzuki would be fun. Yeah, but well, Tomko is believable because you know, Suzuki crushed Tomko, but uh, I can never see any of those other matches happening. Uh, maybe Joe and, and Suzuki one day, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Mm. Maybe I'm just being selfish, but... Oh, well, yeah, know. it would be in a, in a perfect world. Yeah, no shit. In a perfect world, <laughs> there, wouldn't be, there wouldn't be Dixie and fucking Jeff, but... All right, now, I posted... Uh, when I posted this thread on the figure four board about you and Carl coming on, I asked for questions, and I got one legitimate question. Can you believe <laughs> that? One legitimate question. Actually, yeah, that's one more than I would think posting in the board. All right, this one is from our good friend, Alan Forel. The man, the myth, the legend. Love you, Al. Ask Mike about his memories of the early Super J Cups. Do you have a preference between the first one in 94 and the one in 95? Uh, I, shit, I'd have to go back and watch them again. I mean, there were more uh, There were more guys I liked in 94 because I think 95 was – I think there's we had Pillman. I mean, that wasn't a bad thing, but it was like Alex Wright and, you know – I was never a uh, who's a god who's the one guy um, Honaga I think I was in, it's, yeah. there were more guys I liked in '94 you know but it's like all of those none of those are bad shows it's just that you know, I liked more of the guys in that year because I think that was uh, Fit Finley and Otani and Taka and there were more guys I liked um, but I mean all of those I mean it just I was always a huge junior heavyweight fan. So all those shows I was always happy with. I mean, obviously when you saw Doc Dean in one as opposed to, you know, Dean Malenko, then, you know, it's a little bit more disappointing. But I think from that 
era, the card of all of those types of cards, the one I remember the most was actually, it wasn't even the J-Crown. It was the lead-up to the J-Crown. There was the... the Skydiving J. Skydiving J, yeah, at Budokan. And I love, I mean, I absolutely adore that show, and there's another one where people should go way out of their way to see it. Um, It's just, the the whole thing is awesome. I mean, you get uh, Kazayashi Shiru and uh, Masayogi Motegi, that was a good match. Um, uh, Otani and Sakuraba, which was actually went relatively quick. Yeah, I mean, and I was never a big shoot guy, but that was a match I liked a lot. Uh, Sasuke and Eddie Guerrero as Black Tiger, that was awesome. Liger Togo was awesome. Oh, I always loved Ultimate Dragon. Yeah, I mean... match was fucking blow away awesome. Yes. That was my favorite match of the, the show. It was, oh, dude... Dick is such a dick. Yeah, Dick Togo is just a fucking yeah. Togo's awesome doing anything. Thank you. And you know, and Lance Storm and and Yesaroka and who's I mean, most people only know him. He appeared on I think one Nitro and I think he may have been on one pay per view and they they opened the show and it was you know the, the first time I'd ever seen anybody when Lance Storm would just put the guy into the ropes and then just fall down and then they would roll into the Boston Crab. You know, he usually only did it with one leg, and this match he did with it was just it was an awesome, awesome show, and it just, I loved every for the most part loved everybody in the show. Obviously, Grant Hamada and Takaiwa was you know a, a little bit slower, but you know, of all those types of shows, that was one where it's you know it's I don't know if Alan Cena or not or anybody else has, but if you haven't go out your receipt because it was just that was an awesome show. Yeah, it was fun, and <clears throat> that was the build up for the J Crown, which was. You know, just the thought of that tournament was just fun, and there were a couple five-star matches in that one. Um, yeah, that was just another, yeah, for awesome. me, a wet dream of a show. And you know, when Ultimo Dragon came over after he won the J-Crown and then ended up beating Malenko, and he was, you know, the pose with the nine belts, I can't remember if it's a, a Starcade, I, I can't remember exactly what show it was, but, you know, when he was just standing there posing with all the belts, it was just one of the great ridiculous visuals for, for wrestling for me. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get on to my my favorite subject as far as Japanese pro wrestling is concerned, and that's Dick. I love Dick Togo. Um, what matches that you have seen from Dick stand out? God, what recent ones? That's up to you. I mean, the the guy has uh, been you know rocking shit since '92, so <laughs> <laughs> you know, top to bottom, he's been rocking it. So. Why? Why all of this dick love? Um, or is this all? Were you just a, a huge Kyantai fan, or? Uh, uh, this was this was before the WWF bullshit. Um, the or first were down with the cross bones. The oh, the first Michinoku Pro tape I ever had was uh, Great Sasuke and Me, and I found it in Japantown in San Francisco. And once I watched it, I was I was hooked. I was hooked. And from then on, I, I've been a huge Dick Togo mark, and that was it. Dick, 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 Dick all day, Dick all night, and there's some jobs for you guys. <laughs> I always seem to uh, stick my foot in my mouth when I'm talking about Dick Togo. But um, did, did you really want to invite Helmy to, to do anything with that one? Oh, uh, well, you know, he can blow me, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't the bury, bury the jerk-offs on, on the uh, – figure four board show this is uh you and me talking here but uh i put together a four disc uh dick togo set and i'm going to run down the matchups and you tell me what you think here 
Uh, we yeah. have from the Weekly Pro uh, Dome Show, uh, Sato, Sasuke, and Shiru against Delphin, Taka, and Nanwa, which was just awesome. Um, you saw you saw the Weekly Pro Dome Show, didn't you? Yeah. Eight hour. Yeah. It's it fucking eons ago, but yeah. <laughs> uh, man, that's fun stuff. And then the second match here is from February in ECW '97 before Barely Legal, where they had Nanwa in before he got hurt. Uh, did you get a chance to see that six man? No, I don't think I ever saw that. No, I mean, I read about it because I believe that Sheldon Goldberg did a big piece about that when he was, I guess, brokered to get those guys in. But right. I'd never actually seen that match. Mm. Yeah, that's good stuff. And the, the third match on the first disc is The Ten Man from 101096. Um, if you have been living under a fucking rock, any, you need to go to Ditch's site and uh, download this match. Um, this match... Was that the one that had, like, Jericho, and it was just absolutely loaded with that one? The war no. one? No. No, this was the ten-man with Togo, Teo, Shiru, Taka, and Funaki against Hamada, Delphin, Nanwa, Tiger Mask 4, and Yakushiji. The ten-man where the main event was Hayabusa and Shinzaki. It was the anniversary show. Or, no, it was um, these days. The the big the the ten man tag that of all matches it was five stars it won I think it was match of the year for Observer Live or for Observer that year. I do not remember that. Oh geez, okay, Michael, I'll need an address after the show. I'll take care of you. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, (laughs) disc two, the first match is Togo and Liger from Skydiving J. Yay. Um, that ECW pay-per-view match, which was awesome. Uh, what did you think of that one, the barely which legal six-man? The barely legal six-man. That was awesome because it was really, you know, the, the first time seeing all those guys. Mm. Yeah, so that's, that you know, good. more than anything, that's what made it for me. And it was just, it was, it was the contrast of that with ECW because at the time, you know, even though I knew there were guys like, you know, Benoit Malenko and Douglas, guys that were in there, it was, it, all I really had burned in my brain with ECW was just kind of the garbage style. Mm-hmm. And not the, I shouldn't say garbage, but the hardcore style. And as much as I love Axel Rotten, I mean, to me, it's like you don't see too many, so many Axel Balls fights and, you know, as crazy eliminators were, just some of the overkill. It just, and so, so to see that was just a remarkable contrast. Yeah, well, it was completely different. And, you know, that that show was just, the ECW could not have put on a better debut pay-per-view. No, no, that the whole thing was awesome, and that was you know that we'd go over to a buddy's house, and you know, one buddy would get the WWF pay-per-views, one would get the WCW. So when it came time for the ECW ones, and it would be great because we watched my house, and I would always get away because it was like fifteen bucks when it started, like fourteen ninety-five or something like that, and it was just that was incredible. Also, I have here, um, from, I think it was the second MLW show, Togo, Hadaka, and Daniels against the Maximos and Quiet Storm. You ever see that one? Uh, I think I did. I think I did, because I think Keith Lipinski sent that to me. I can't remember, but he did send me a bunch of that stuff. So I'm sure I watched it. It just didn't stick out in my mind, though. Mm. Okay. Yeah, it's standout. But, uh, yeah, it's just... 
I have four discs of, of just Dick that I put together. Um, now, is there any Dick Moto on there? No Dick Moto. Okay. No Dick Moto. No Dick Moto. <laughs> now, since, since we're on since we're on the the subject of Dick, um, my so far the first half of the year, my match of the year, personal favorite match of the year, Togo Hadaka against Shelly and Sabin, one one oh eight. Um, what's your choice for match of the year for the first half of 08? God. International. The hell with this shit in the States. Because we know it's <laughs> Joe and Angle. So. We know it's Joe and Angle, so that's a given. But <clears throat> huh. Shit. Let me go back and look here at my notes, because I'm trying to think of what... I'm thinking all the stuff right now, like the, the women's... <laughs> Shit that nobody would like, and that that, that mm-hmm. doesn't count. That that only entertains me. Things like Neo and stuff like that. They've had some good wacky shows this year. How about uh, Marufuji and Sugiera against the Briscoes? That was pretty awesome. Now I didn't like yeah, it as much as Out for Life did, and you know the, the the finish of that was far better than the first one. The, the first match, Adam and I actually liked more than the second match. Mm-hmm. But the finish, of, <laughs> that finish was fucking awesome. It just That's really great. was. That was great. It, <laughs> it, it couldn't have went any better. That was just fucking awesome. You, yeah, it's true. Ah, you know, the, the, the jackasses that, that work for Vince need to watch the finish of that match. That's a fucking finish. Yeah. That was nice. just, you know, and it, it, that was a good match. Let's see, what else was there? Hidaka Kanemoto was good, and that was April 6th. That was a good match. That was the same show that Shelly and Saban faced, uh, Fujita and Sugawara. That was good. Yeah, um, both of those. Yeah, Kota Ibushi and Ishikawa was good from DDT, and I hate giving DDT any credit. You know, that was a really good match. I like that. Angle Nakamura, I loved. You know, just because I the crowd got into it, and again, being a Nakamura kind of guy, mm-hmm. you know, that match from February was really good, so. How about the eight-man, Kensuke Office? That was fucking awesome. Yeah, that was in, what, February? That was fucking February, great. Yeah. That was really yeah, good. Was- um the beginning of the year was actually loaded up with some good shit. You know, that, sh- that match should have been on the fucking Dome Show. That should have headlined the Dome Show. It's amazing how Kensuke Office comes up with better cards than Noah does. Yeah, no shit. I mean, they, they really do. I, I don't understand why they don't, you know, pull something out like that to headline the Dome. You know, fuck it. Make the Dome the all-star show of the year. Why the fuck not? Because uh, it would fuck make it. too much sense. I mean, I, I don't understand. I mean... Why they don't pull resources, why at this point, you know, with the state of Japanese wrestling, why these guys aren't pulling, pulling their resources a little bit more, when frankly everyone is working with everyone pretty much anyway. You know, I mean, your biggest stars, your Sasaki's, your Sasaki's, and, or uh, Kensei Sasaki and Minoru Suzuki and Takiyama, these guys are all freelancers anyway. You know, and Noah, okay, if Noah doesn't want to play along because they don't have to, that's fine, but they they with New Japan working with Zero One and you know with All Japan and there's all these groups that are you're all working together anyway. Pull your resources, you know. Don't even have title matches. Just have a card of really good fucking dream matches to try to get interest back up again. Yeah, because they could certainly use it. Yeah, no shit, no no doubt. I mean, it's a shame that they're not drawing the money that 
Yeah, I mean, there's no, it, money out there to be made. It's just they're not doing yes. what they have to do. It's like the, I mean, and the women are another prime example of that. As much as I, you know, I, I love Noah or I love Neo, but, you know, they need to work with other groups. I mean, there's all these different splintered women's groups out there. You know, Sendai is a great group, but I'd love to see Sendai and Neo together. I mean, it just would make more sense. It's just too much shit to spread out all over the place. Say hi, Alex. I have my co-host, Alex Saint, on the line. Alex, how's Vegas? Hey, what's uh, it's, it's good, it's good, but... uh. I found out you were having uh, Mike Smith for TV on. Oh, I, I just have to hear it confirmed from Mike. Oh, and you were talking about Max of the Year earlier. Hello, it was Nakamura Tanahashi, 1-4. But uh, speaking of Nakamura, oh. is he not the worst guy this year in Japan <laughs> to hold a major heavyweight title? Is he not the worst of, of all of them? Uh, compared to, no, Suwama, I guess, would be right at Look, You're talking to a Nakamura uh, fan. I, the whole I'm bored with Nakamura thing I, I, I'm not down with. I'm not on. I'm not on board with Nakamura either. I think he's horrible. I'm. I thought Ashi was able to carry him to a good match, and then Nakamura ended up getting all these high-profile matches that Tanahashi should have gotten. Hey, I mean, like it's what? Not real over there. Oh well, uh, Angle. It should have been Angle Tanahashi. Angle. Why? Tanahashi didn't need Angle. I mean, the, the whole thing was to unify the titles with Nakamura. It just it made more sense for Nakamura to have it. Look, Tanahashi. I'm not going to disagree with anybody as far as Tanahashi is levels above everyone everywhere. Tanahashi is yeah. the best wrestler in the world, but I mean, I don't the, the the backlash against Nakamura that he's just stayed stagnant now for three years. I, I don't buy, and I think he's been hurt more by booking than he has himself. But you know, that's just my opinion. I'll tell you why because I would have myself. I would have rather enjoyed a Tanahashi angle match than seeing Tanahashi face AJ Styles, who acted like he was working in Georgia. Into, uh, I, what, what's wrong with AJ Styles when he goes to Japan? I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Who is he talking to? Well, you know, I, I don't know. The, the whole high, it was odd when they brought Tanahashi over in the first place. Remember, they, they went to TNA as the high-flying Tanahashi. I just, <laughs> I, I don't, I, that matchup just, I never, I don't, I just don't get it. I, I didn't get it then, you know. I mean, the, the sixth man was not that good. I remember the Dome show that opened up the Dome show with, uh, what was it, Christian uh, Styles, and I forget who it was. Yeah, some, some other TNA guy. It, it, all it all I remember from that match was Chris Devitt being incredibly pale. That's all I remember. Because I was like, <laughs> if, the, if the TNA office could see Devitt, I was like, you know what, they'll probably bring him over on one of the X Cups. But then I, so I looked at that like, that might be his tryout match. But he showed up, the palest man on the planet Earth, and he wore black frock and, and, and light blonde hair. And I was like, wow, you, you really don't want to go to TNA. Well, the, the reason why that was was because Devin couldn't leave the house in fear that he'd hurt himself before the show. So they had to leave, leave him locked up. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I think the good prince is coming over for the, uh, for the, uh, the ex-cup, isn't he? Is he now? Is I, I believe be... I, I'm trying to think of who they announced for that. I'm pretty sure he was one of them. I believe Milano Collection 18 may have been one of them, which oh, is that's just great. It's going to be if you can make it through uh, the the crappy shows, you're going to see some great matches with this CNAX Cup with the Dragon Gate guys and the New Japan guys and Jesus Christ! I tell you what, what there's. Was there? One guy last year who won. I mean, he won the the Super Junior. I forget what else he won. It still, he did not have. They didn't. He to me had a flat year last year, even with the the, the high mark awards that that he won. 
I hope this is a far better year and he's used far better than, than he was last year. Because Milano should be just, he's too good and he should be more of a player than he is. Mm-hmm. If they can I, make Azuka somebody you care about, which they have right now, believe it or not, in, in this whole Tenzon thing, you know, they, they can damn sure do something with, with Milano. I mean, I got that much faith in Chochu. Are you, are you the one that doesn't like my boy Carl Anderson? Is that you? That, <laughs> I'm trying to figure out where the Carl Anderson hate is coming from. I don't. Ha- I never had Carl Anderson. It's more like Carl Anderson apathy. <laughs> Big difference. I don't hate the man, but you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Carl, Carl Anderson is the man. It's all right. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait till next year. And Carl Anderson, when he's hot, it'll get hot eventually. Oh, hey, I'll be. I'll be. Carl Anderson. I will throw support if that happens, but uh, there. I was surprised at some of the, the happiness, and it wasn't a whole lot of people, but some of the happiness of Carl Anderson in New Japan when Nagata goes out and they fill him in, and it's just, you know, I mean, no offense to Carl Anderson, but you, you don't replace Yuji Nagata, in my opinion, with Carl Anderson. It was just, for when, when Nagata went down, that was a little bit of a surprise. Now, bringing him in as a as a GBH member, yeah, that's fine. Oh, <laughs> you yeah. know, when he was replacing Nagata was a little bit of a, you know, come on. I agree with that too, but I'm excited. I mean, the, the unfortunate of Nagata going out now is they're kind of. I'm excited for uh, it's because it seems like they're bringing Nagata to team with Kanemoto against uh, Tanaka and Otani. Or am I am I reading that right? Or well, yeah, Nagata's kind of as soon as he came back, he was kind of uh, injected into that whole zero one max New Japan thing, which has been pretty good. Although I'm not the biggest zero one max fan in the world, but. That's, you know, with Kanemoto and everything, keeping the, those guys busy with, you know, some good stuff. You know, not, I haven't been loving it, but, you know, it has been some good stuff. Did, did Masato Tanaka catch cancer, or what happened to him? <laughs> that's what, no, that's uh, him. Never mind. Some, some, some wellness, I guess, that's all went away. <laughs> uh, too many blades. It's some, some kind of wellness. I'll, I'll give it like 300 pounds. Well, see, that might be a good thing. You know, all these guys have pressure on their hearts all those years from carrying around that much weight. It's just, he looks, he just looks so incredibly freaky. Looks so incredibly freaky. I'm supposed to be watching a match soon. Uh, Joe Gagne sent to, to Adam Summers. He's already seen it. Uh, the Desk, uh, Daisuke Sakamoto, uh, Masato Tanaka match, where it's just one more time you really see exactly how small Masato Tanaka has gotten. Because it just looks like he's got thrown in a dryer. It's very bizarre. It is bizarre because, uh, you know, Kenta Kabashi really did have cancer. He didn't come back that small. Okay. No, I mean, for God's sakes, uh, either did, uh, what's the uh, Dory Funk's boy, Osama Nishimura, same way. <laughs> oh, that, and, and then, uh, yeah, that's real funny. Uh, Minoru Suzuki, what, what's, he, what's he up to lately? He's just kind of floating around right now. Still just a man without a home. He, you know, he's still doing kind of hovering around all Japan. I keep waiting for Noah to, to make an announcement they're bringing him in on a, a step, not a semi-regular basis, but I kind of figured they would strike by now and he'd be there. But he seems to just be taking, picking and choosing his spots and taking some time off. And he's wrestled a lot, really, in the last two years. If you think about it, even with all the comedy stuff that he's done, which has been fucking awesome, the you know, the and yeah, I mean, the, the, the Mexicans, the whole Ray High Mountain, you know, mm-hmm. that was awesome. It's just... He's had some great stuff, but he hasn't been busy doing a lot of stuff. So I, I'm, the only thing I can guess, because he's not, you know, been scooped up by anybody for anything too high profile, is just that, you know, 
he's just taking some time off. He uh, he and I'm trying to think, he and Takayama are teaming up relatively soon for something. I have to double check on what it is, but yeah, he's just kind of picking and choosing his spots right now. Yeah, after I saw a real gay against Minoru Suzuki, I, I determined that Minoru is the greatest man on the planet. And I wanted to actually to bring him over to New Japan to kill uh, Nakamura. That's just me. <laughs> All of this Nakamura hate. The, right. the Nakamura hate. The Nakamura, because obviously, I mean, uh, I got into Japanese pro wrestling through listening to your show and through KZ sending me DVDs. And so I'd always heard you defend uh, Nakamura, you know, defending Nakamura, defending and so I went into it wanting to like Nakamura. And I watch him, and I just, I just, he just, he's just missing something. I know it's charisma, but it's something else to where when I watch him, I just see everyone else on top of the card better than him. But yet he's being pushed above all of them. And it makes me hate him. Well, let's say he doesn't have, you know, there's a certain spark that he doesn't have, you know, and there's that bit of charisma that Nagata has and that, Nakanishi has and the you know Tanahashi pours, but Yano I, I, and Masabe have and everyone. Well, see, y- y- yeah, Yano's got it, but he's you know, and not to say he's the shits in the ring, but I mean, oh. yeah, I think Nakamura is you know head and shoulders above Toru Yano. Now Makabe, I tell you what, there's why Choshu should have been Booker of the Year last year. You know, Makabe still over the last year plus. It's not like he's been beaten. I mean, outside of Nakamura, Tanahashi, and Nagata, he hasn't been beaten really by anybody. Uh-huh. And they've kept him incredibly strong. They still got Albert too. I mean, there's they have some good things going on. There's another guy that they should be kind of hopefully doing a little bit more with soon. But uh-huh. Makabe has been fantastic and will continue to be. And again, that's I wish if they were going to do something, I wish they were going to do something with Makabe taking the belt and not Muto. Uh-huh. What, what, where does the Muda title change come from? That just seems so out of left field. And then I, I haven't had access to the Internet in a couple of days, so I have no idea where they can even go with it. Uh, who, who's Muda's upcoming defenses again? Well, I mean, it's Tanahashi has announced he's coming back from the G1. Oh, now, no, when's the G1? So the G1's in August. Oh, no, he can't. But, this is, but he doesn't, he didn't need to have surgery, you know, or oh, anything okay. like that. So it's, you oh. know, it's, he just needs a lot of rest, which is good. And I mean, there was a thought that he may not be able to come back till next year if he had to do surgery and everything. So this right. is a good thing. And I think with that announcement, you know, I don't think you, you use. I mean, who, who do you drop? If Muto's going to drop the belt quick, uh-huh. you know, who does he drop it to, and, and how does it benefit anybody? He gets machine gun down in the middle of the ring. I say we unite all of the Japanese companies. Under Tanahashi, Tanahashi Championship Wrestling. <laughs> He's the man to save Japan. He is. He really is. Well, Carl he Anderson is. getting Minoru guns Suzuki. guns for anybody who disagrees. Minoru Suzuki and uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and then the rest can be filler. <laughs> it's Sugiera. I like Sugiera too. Bring him along. Oh yeah, yeah. I love Sugiera. That's yeah. Well, I love no. all the Dragon Gate guys down the toilet and stuff for FEMA. I'm getting tired of all this Dragon Gate stuff. Uh, Dragon Gate, like Dragon Gate, well, well, you know, it's, you, if you like Dragon Gate, you take it for what it is. I mean, it is what it is, and sometimes they are a prime example. And this happens, I think, with people in Ring of Honor too. I mean, not to the same extent, but you can kind of get burned out on seeing it all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and you need to take a little bit of a break from it. I mean, it's just you know, it's such a whirlwind. 
Dragon's Gate, though, is just to always be... You know, Noah's matches are always good, no matter how bad or boring they try to be. And the same thing with Dragon Gate, where you just look at the athleticism and just the speed at which they work, hitting a lot of the stuff very cleanly and always looking good. And I just... That's, to me, why I do watch them more than usually some of the other promotions. Just it, They're just so incredible to watch, to me, at least. Biggest rip-off ever. I bought a 5-disc Best of Dragon Gate 2005 DVD. I watched the first match. It was a great match. Watched the second match. It, it was. It kept going down every match I watched until it finally put me to bed. Because well, I, the, I tell you, I think some of the newness because I, the Ring of Honor uh, Chicago show where the the Dragon Gate match won match of the year. Yeah, I remember that was a uh, yeah Super Card of Honor. Yeah, and you know, and I think, and I don't. Just disparage it at all. I mean, it, it went on purpose because I think it opened up. You know, it opened up a lot of people's eyes to what Dragon Gate was, and it was the first time they had seen it and everything. You know, there's been better matches, and there were better matches that year from Dragon Gate, but that one meant something. When you see it all the time, I think you, after a while it does start to lose it. You know, I grew yeah. up on you know Mid Atlantic in WWF for the for the most part, so that wacky var I need that wacky variety sometimes, which oh, is I why I absolutely agree. You know, this is why I've always been really a New Japan fan, far more than I was ever an All Japan fan. I just, you know, I need some storyline. I need some wackiness. And even though Dragon Gate has storylines, they're going out there to, to put on a circus-style show. That's what they do. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think that, you know, a good wrestling card has a mix of everything on the card. So I grew up on pretty much, as I'm from South Carolina, so I grew up on NWA and WWF. And so, I mean, a good, I think, in my opinion, I mean, well, if you're making money, you're making money. But the type of wrestling I like to see is a good mix. I like to see Minoru Suzuki in comedy matches, and I like to see everything on the, on its way up. But if you put together a card, and Ring of Honor is guilty as this too, if you put on a card where the first match is the same as the main event, then, I mean, it just, it just burned out. I, I don't understand how people – I mean, people do like it as a fact. I just don't understand how people like it. It just ends up putting me to sleep. Well, say so I watched the weekend shows from Orlando – and that's, you know, that's probably all I really, and I hate to say it, that's all I need to see for a while. Not to say I'm going to, you know, that I'm going to, if I, somebody says go out of your way to see this, I'm going to see a, a certain match or, or a show. But those two days, I'm, done, I'm good now for a while. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to say yeah, Actually, you know what I was surprised with because I hadn't seen him in a long time? Uh, Kenny King was kind of funny. I like Kenny King. He's been I, tough I, enough. He's been in FIP a lot. I mean, he was. I hadn't seen him in a while. He kind of surprised me. I was actually happy with him. I, I haven't seen him in such a long time. I don't even remember what he looks like. Oh, black the dude. Last, <laughs> the, the last Ring of Honor show I saw was the 10th anniversary show, and it was awesome. Man. Unbelievable. I, I'm a fan of the anniversary um, show. Okay, but before we get going here um, on a different topic, um, I'd like to throw a shout-out to a promoter who promotes Lucha down there in San Diego area. You know him very well, Alex. Uh, his name is Oscar Juarez. Um, there is an article talking about his, his Lucha shows that he's been putting on recently at www.nctimes.com. Uh, it's a pretty good interview. Uh, check it out. Um, it runs down his past shows. Uh, where he started out drawing 16 fans. His first show in January drew 16 fans, but now he's doing between 500 and 700. Uh, so, yes, go check him out. Uh, read the article. 
Alex can attest you've you've been to the shows. So I wa- I watched that January show, asshole. Thanks for someone out there to be attending. That's the last Fallon Live show I worked. <laughs> well, there you go, Alex. You drew 16 people. Hey, yeah, I was in, I was in the open. I didn't draw anybody. That's more than some pay dojo shows. What's yeah, that? Shit, huh? <laughs> the those dojo, dojo shows are like eight people. <laughs> and those are all top. I friends that do four dojo too. <laughs> I was just saying, they always lie about attendance in Japan. When you announce 37 people for your afternoon show, yeah, how much? How many people are you actually lying about? Or do you even bother at that point? Do you just do a head count and just say, all right, fuck it? You just ask, right many, right you ask everyone in the locker room how many people came with them. <laughs> Can you imagine with 37 people as being like, you know, with all those, you know, somebody's getting comped, you're like the one guy out of 37 that actually paid to be there? I've been to shows in life. <laughs> oh, piss me off. <laughs> Welcome to indie wrestling. There's no worse feeling. There's no worse feeling than walking out and seeing five people. Like the locker room you just left had more people than are actually outside. <laughs> it's, it's insane. And then you're trying to come out there and you're trying to sit, you're trying to stay in character, and then and then your friends are fucking with you. It's, it's unreal. <laughs> well, there's no reason to stay in character. That would be the What's perfect that? time to step. There's no reason to stay in character. That would be the perfect time to just step out of character. Yeah, you go in the for me to get paid either, but I did. <laughs> okay, in the middle of the match, you just walk out, you sit in the crowd, you talk to somebody, eat some popcorn, then you get back in. I mean, you know, the, the five what are the five people going to walk out? No, they're going to like the interaction. Oh, that was that was the battle royal. That's what we did for the battle royal. Oh, the the interaction. It's it's my friends who come because my friend Jeff comes because it's his ring, and then he brings his ring crew, and then uh, someone else brings their family, and that's that's the crowd. Now, when you say ring crew, do they bring Dunn and Marcos, or do they actually just have, like, their official ring crew? No, it's an official ring crew, not Dunn and, okay. Dunn and Marcos. Okay, <laughs> okay uh, we, we, we do have a new match announced for Saturday's XPW show, XPW reunion show. We have uh, someone has answered Luke Hawk's open challenge. It will be Jack Evans. Oh, it's my. Scorpio Sky. He's putting on the map. Come on, now. Luke what are you getting news from? It's, it's Luke Hawk. Hey, this is Luke Hawk and Jack Evans. Yeah, come on now. Luke Hawk and Jack Evans. That was announced yesterday. And Scorpio well, Sky. This is in Meltzer's update. It says Luke Hawk and Jack Evans. Well, he's wrong. And, and Scorpio Sky is in the match, too. Oh, my. Well, you Scorpio think Sky is going to be in the opener against Jardy France. Who? Jardy France. Against who? Against Scorpio Sky. It's going to be Luke okay. Hawks and Jack Evans. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, Dr. Keith and, uh, would that one. He would know that. He's working that show, I believe. Go. Well, Dr. Keith is a little busy tonight. I tried to get him on, so you, you were the second choice to follow Carl. Sorry, Mike. Ooh. That, that's Ooh. Just, just cold. Ooh. <laughs> hey, but you're not going to be able to hang out in a bar with Raven and Sandman either. That's okay. Just fuck that. I, I don't think I want to hang out with Raven and Sandman at a bar. Well, I, I, Sandman, I never mind Raven. Well, Raven's <laughs> wrong, period. Like, you don't have to bring him to a bar. <laughs> He's fried. I, He's I wonder what Raven and Sandman's opinions on Tanahashi are and Nakamura. <laughs> I swear to God, Raven, when Raven speaks, like, you would think he was the best wrestler ever. But well, that's the thing. absolutely I mean, horrible. 
you you could ask Raven about Tanahashi. I have a feeling he might turn around back to Raven again. <laughs> I'll give him this. He makes a good copy because the dude just loves to talk. But you, good lord, he can talk his ass off. He was, I remember in that face-off with Honky Talk Man, when Honky Talk Man was telling him how stupid it was to go through a table, and Raven was telling him about how he knew where to hit the table, and I was like, shut the fuck up, Raven. There's no, when you're coming off the top, there's no way you're exactly going to get out of here. <laughs> I know how to exactly hit the table. That's like saying, yeah, I knew exactly where to, you know, have the chair hit my head when I'm, like, you know, cuffed up against the fucking cage. <laughs> Look, the, the man All did right. some dumb shit. I was never a big fan of the hardcore, so... Uh... <laughs> All right, oh, you're never a fan of ECW? Say what? You're never a fan of ECW? Oh, I was an ECW fan, but it was more for the, you know, the, the, the wrestling matches more than the, the New Jack, Raven, Sandman type appearances. It was still, like, the Sandman storyline with his kid and everything, I loved that. But just yeah. to me, it was, too, it was just to me too much overkill. I'm old. <laughs> so it was just, to me, it was just too much overkill. And right. they weren't the only ones guilty of that. What about Smoky Mountain, where uh, it was Canamora and Kevin Sullivan just, you know, tore him to pieces? It just to me, the, the overkill was just too much. Right, right. I I was waiting for him to say Peaches was on heroin. Like she was always scratching her arm. Alex. And like even when I was, Did even I, when I was Alex? like fourteen, I was like, yep. he's on heroin. Mike, are you still on? Yeah. Mike, are you on? Yes. Yeah. I'm here. Okay, cool. Okay, I think we're losing Alex. He he's in Vegas and he gets shitty reception, so I'm just gonna hang him up. Um, fuck him. <laughs> Boozing up in Vegas. Alex. He's uh, he's doing military shit. So. Well, that's no yeah, good. Yeah, and and he's leaving a day before the boys all show up. So that kind of sucks. that's that's yeah. just no good at all. Well, it's not like you're gonna be able to get free drinks at Alvarez, but you know. Yeah, but on the other hand, he is. Um, he is uh, helping. Uh, he will be making an appearance at XPW. So that's you know he's doing ring crew I think or something. So no. he's going to be at the XPW show. So that's good for him. Yeah, uh, nothing wrong with that. Be there. Yeah. Well, well, what have you heard about that that show? Um, it's fucking stacked. That XPW reunion show is stacked. That's Necro, a Necro, Necro and Supreme, brother. <laughs> <laughs> now I gotta be honest. Even though I, 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 I too much necro is too much, but <laughs> yeah, this, I, I may actually go on my way to see just because this is going to be a spectacle. Mm-hmm. This is going to be an absolute spectacle. <laughs> yeah, you know the, the the first time the first time I had Supreme on the show, you know, um, yeah, we were we were talking about you know who he's worked and who he'd like to work, and and I said that one of the few remaining dream death matches. Is him and Necro, and they put it together. And I have to give it to uh, Kevin Kleinrock. The man is a marketing genius because that match alone will sell a shitload of DVDs. And I give the man all the credit in the fucking world. Necro might not be XPW, but he doesn't. Yes, he is. Necro is Necro. Wherever he's at, that's what he is. Yeah, I mean, and that's going to sell some fucking discs. And I don't blame him, man. That was a great ballsy move on his part, because that is one of the few, you know, dream matches, you know, death matches that that are left. There aren't many of the guys even fucking walking anymore. But yeah, that's that's gonna be fun. You got the gangsters coming back, which you know, natural born killers for ten minutes and they kill people. 
Uh, yes, I feel bad get. for Big Rotten Chronic because they're going to get beat up. Yeah, they're 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 in trouble. Um, you see, we have Chaos and Vampiro, which should be fun if Vampiro brings his working shoes. If he brings yeah, his working no, shoes, I, it's going to be fun. Again, I've never been a huge, huge Vampiro fan, but obviously uh, he's got his fans. So, and Chaos, Chaos is at a whole different level than anybody in SoCal. He's he's just, you know, he he's one of the bigger names in SoCal now, and he's just you you know what you're going to get with him. You're going to get solid stuff with him. Um, it's just going to be a fun fucking show, and I am. Now, so who is in the Miss Extreme pageant? Uh, there's a bunch of different chicks. Um, they're just chicks. I mean, you have to go to the thexpw.com. Cheap plug. I love you guys. Um, see, that's how you get free DVDs and T-shirts. You Nothing wrong it. with that. <laughs> Plus, I do the favor for Dr. Keith, of course. Hey, what um, kind of favor is that? Well, he is he is their their director of public relations for the wrestling end. Well, I know, but uh, what, what exactly what favors are you doing for Dr. Keith for this stuff? Well, not not that kind of favors. Not that okay, kind we'll of favors. Okay, sure. But we did, oh, we know. Are we getting a, a Sawa appearance on this show? Yes. Talk about. You want to talk about a, a great story like to bring you back to Minoru Suzuki? Minoru Suzuki in Nosawa was just fucking great. Mm. That well, was Nosawa great. With anybody, Nosawa with anybody is awesome. That guy is money, no matter who the fuck he's in there with. I <laughs> love him. Did you get a chance to see the JCW sh- uh, Bloody Mania show where it was Muda and Nosawa against Just Incredible and Too Cold? No. Okay, you'll be taken care of. Um, go ahead, go ahead, wait to see that one. Oh, it's fun. It's fun. You know, it, Muda, Muda being no knees, coming around, doing his little shining wizard and all, but Nosawa steals the show because he's all fucking whacked out in front of all these juggalos because this was at the, the gathering of the juggalos every year, and this was just insane with all these juggalos going nuts for this guy because, you know, Nosawa's a Japanese juggalo, of course, and he is just fucking going nuts. And it was so fun. You had Jimmy Jacobs and Ultimo Dragon in the opener, which mm. is completely just like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's, it's just a, an odd show top to bottom, and it was just this fun, fun stuff. And, you know, those clowns, man, say what you want about them. Say what you want about them. But they know how to put fucking shows together. I'll tell you that. They know how to put shows together, and they do know talent. See, I have to take your your word for it on that because you're not. I'm just. I'm too pretty to be fucking within 500 yards of a Juggalo Championship Wrestling show. I just, mm-hmm. I just, I can't do it. Yeah, I would never go and see them unless they would have friends of mine on the show or something. Then I would go. But see, now I go out of my way to pick and choose. It's not where other than Chikara, I go out of my way to watch everything Chikara. But other than that, I go out of my way to watch workers as opposed to companies. You know what well, I'm saying? If I yeah. You know, uh, now I'm, I'm picky. I'll, I'll go out my way to see Hero or, you know, uh, Claudio or Sweeney or whoever. Just not the companies. I'll just go out and see workers. And that's, call me fucking one-sided, call me whatever you want. But, it, you know, that's just the way it is now because I can't stomach anything else. You know, I, I guess I'm a bitter old man or something, but... <coughs> But Mike, we're running out of time. It was uh I don't know what the fuck you want to call it. It was just a whacked out show as usual. But well, I do appreciate it? your time, brother. It was it was uh, fun. No problem. 
My pleasure. Thank you for leaving Carl Stern open for me. <laughs> it's all good, all good. We aren't. We got to get. We got to get a round table with you, Summers, and that jackass Gagney. I refuse to do such a thing. <laughs> well, hey, Joe won't even return a fucking private message, so you know, fuck him and the horse he rode in on. He's, he's all but, stuck up. See, that that's always been my whole problem with him. Just a very <laughs> a cruel, awful individual. There you go. Uh, F4W online, seven ninety nine. That's all I can say. Um, you have to, if you follow Japanese wrestling or hockey, you got to check out the Adam and Mike Big Audio Nightmare. That's good stuff. Um, what the fuck more can I say? I mean, I've been plugging Brian since blue in the face since show number one. This is show number 60. So, you know, some kind of a kickback there, Brian, would be nice. Sorry, but, uh, Michael? Big Audio Nightmare, just say, the Japanese wrestling is just kind of our muse. We just kind of talk about everything. Plus the, the separate hockey shows and Carl Stern's show and Dr. Keith's show and Mike Coughlin and all the figure four dailies and Brian and Vinny shows and the board and, and everything else and all the other random shit that you get for only seven ninety nine a month. Including the newsletter, too. Yeah, no shit. A good one, too. Damn right. A little you cut know, back really now, but good. damn fine. There you go. Cut out all the TV reports and all that other bullshit, and it's all good. Exactly. But, you know, I, I've never been a fan of that in the newsletter anyway. Well, <laughs> That's what the Brian and Vinny shows are for, so... <laughs> but uh Mike, once again, thanks for coming on, dude. It it was my pleasure having you on. Um we're gonna definitely have to have you on again, uh probably when the young bucks come back from Japan so that you and I can watch some Dragon Gate and then we'll get your opinions on those two young guys. Cool. How's that sound, brother? That works, man. All right, man. Uh give your boy a kiss for me and uh I will be talking to you soon. All right, man. All right, brother, take care now. See you. All right, that was Mad Mike Sempervivi from F4WOnline.com. Um, we had Alex Saint on popping in from Vegas. I guess he was uh, probably taking a break from a from a uh, three card poker table or something, uh, trying to change his luck or you know something. Uh, the first hour we had Carl Stern. Uh, you can follow Carl Stern's wackiness at uh, CarlStern.com and Alabama WrestlingHistory.com, which is you know fun stuff. Um, Good uh, continental southeast, uh, bunch of different weird shit, uh, fun stuff. No offense, Carl, but fun stuff. Uh, you can also get you know more of these guys f4wonline.com. Jeez, uh, we went uh, over two hours. This this uh, this show was fun. Um, we're going to be back on the air with a special show tomorrow uh, with. Uh, let me see. I, I would call him a journeyman. Uh, journeyman worker Rick Drayson. Uh, Rick's been all over, done everything. Um, this is going to be a, a, a crazy two-hour show. It'll be fun. I mean, we're going to just breeze through it. Uh, like I said, it's going to be a special Wednesday show at 7 p.m. Pacific tomorrow um, because I have family commitments on Thursday. So that'll do it. Um, I'm going to wrap it up now. Uh, sponsors will be FogCityWrestling.com and WrestleWarehouse.com, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow night.